welcome to the Victorious Living Christian Counseling Podcast. My name is Crystal Redland, and I'm a licensed mental health counselor in the state of Indiana, and I'm a licensed professional counselor in the state of Missouri. I have been in practice for about five years, and um, today's topic is going to be on living victoriously by building awareness of emotional abuse and learning to... Um, establish healthy boundaries in your relationships. We have a special treat today. Um, My dear friend, Elisa Duncan, who has been in the field for um, 30 years plus, and she has actually agreed to come on and join me in this podcast to discuss um, this topic, which I think she's very wise in most areas, but this is one that I've really learned a lot from her, um, not only as a professor, like she helps me personally, but she's also taught me a lot as a clinician as well. Elisa is a licensed mental health counselor and she's a licensed mental uh, um, marriage and family therapist. She's been in the field for 31 years. She has a passion for working with dying and grieving. She also has worked in hospice. She's a therapeutic writing instructor and she's been in private practice and Catholic charities. So I'm going to take a moment and allow my dear friend, Elisa Duncan, to introduce herself to you guys. Hi, Crystal. So good to be on your podcast. I really appreciate you asking me to join tonight. I really think that with everything going on with the pandemic and people are are kind of staying inside and there's a lot of stress on families and relationships, this is a very, very timely topic tonight. So I'm so glad we're going to address it and I hope that it will help lots of people uh, just understand, be able to identify situations in their life and most importantly, what to do with it in order to protect themselves. So thank you for allowing me to be on the podcast with you tonight. Having you in my life is always a blessing. So thank you. Ah, having you in my life is a blessing too. I feel honored that you have joined me and this passion that God has put on my heart to bring not only what we do in the office to to clients, but also to hopefully bring it to people who may not be able to get into a counseling office or maybe people who are scared to actually pursue counseling. So um, one thing that I was thinking about today is there is a verse that um, I that really made me think about like you were saying how right now this is such a important topic in the midst of the pandemic we've all seen statistics showing the increase in domestic violence and I don't I'm not sure if it's an increase in domestic violence or it's just worse because there's not actually you know, the people that have always been there to help, they're stuck inside and like children can't go to school every day sometimes. In some states, they're still not in school. And um, so you're just kind of being cooped up in a place where there's no escape. And so it is, it's a very timely and important topic to have during this pandemic. So one verse that God led me to um, is, it's in Hebrews 13, 3. It says, continue to remember those in prison as if you were together with them in prison and those who are mistreated as if you yourselves were suffering. And that just kind of popped out to me today as I was thinking about like these people who are stuck in abusive marriages, emotionally, physically, or sexually abusive marriages, children that have abusive 
um, parents, and any situation where people are stuck in environments where there's abuse, they feel like they're in prison. They feel very trapped. Have you noticed that with your clients? That's absolutely right, Crystal. A lot of times people, and I know we think when we think about domestic abuse or violence, we typically think about women being in this situation, but children are in this situation and men are also in this situation too. And so I see it, I see it all the time. And there's just that feelings of, of hopelessness, like there's no way out. And there most definitely is always a way out, but that's what we're hoping probably to accomplish today. There's always a way out, always a way to get, to have hope and to be safe. Exactly. I totally second and agree with the words that you just stated, because um, one of the things that I know I have to do as a clinician, and I already know that you do this too, because we talk about, um, Elise is one of the, she's like a supervisor for me, although she's not in my business, but she's one of the, she's pretty much the top go-to person when I have a client situation. And of course I have to get consent to be able to communicate um, with no names and all that jazz that we have to work on as professional counselors. But she also has, um, we've talked together about how to best help clients and um, prayed together. And um I think it's great to have somebody in the field who loves God and loves people as much as I do. Absolutely. So when we're thinking about the concept of people being in prison and that it's our job as clinicians to help give them this wisdom, because it's not naturally something that we just know what to do when we're stuck in that situation where we're being abused. And the reason is because the abuser doesn't want us to feel like we have any power. And so I'm sure you've seen this too, Elisa, where like your clients, even though we can see the power that they have, they honestly, most often don't really feel they have that power. Have you noticed that? I have, Crystal. In, in fact, I think one of the things hopefully that we can do tonight is that I, I think a lot of people feel like they're in bondage and they are in prison because partly they don't recognize what emotional of physical sexual abuse is. They don't recognize the signs or they want to discount the signs or they're being told to ignore the signs. And I'm thinking that maybe one of the things that we can do tonight is just help people recognize signs that they're like, yeah, that sounds like my life. Because I think awareness of what it is, is the first step to really uh, getting out of the bondage of living this way. Exactly. That's a great idea. So let's talk about what are some signs of emotional abuse? And um, then we can kind of talk about how we have seen it play out when clients come to us. I know one sign is that, like we've said, they feel like they're, they're trapped. They feel imprisoned. They're fearful, right? Yes. Absolutely. In a healthy relationship, there shouldn't be fear. Um, there should be a certain level of confidence to be able to stand up for yourself in a healthy way. Whereas in abusive relationships, there's not, there's not that healthy confidence. Um, I see a lot of times, and like you said, it can be men or women who are at the hands of an abuser and it's our job to help them to see that. What other signs have you noticed? One of the things I see a lot, and it's always a red flag for me, if you've got, if you've got a partner who is extremely jealous and mm -hmm. 
like jealous to a point that it's really obsessive to a point that they try to isolate you away from your friends, away from family. They don't, they really kind of don't want you out in the real world and um, just, you know, just kind of always being jealous of, of other people being around you and like just things like subtly putting you down and making you feel bad about yourself, um, name calling. There's something called gaslighting where a person will make you feel like you're crazy. So they'll do something mean and when you respond to it, they'll, they'll act like you're crazy and that you have no business feeling that way and make or sometimes making you feel guilty for what they're doing. And, and it, it can look like intimidation. I mean, just like when you're, you know, just like looks that they can give you and behaviors that they can do and just like, de, like destroying stuff in the house. And um, I've, I've seen people like be afraid to leave an unhealthy marriage because the other person has said, if you leave, I'll kill myself. I'll, I'll kill the dog. I'll kill, mm-hmm. I'll kill the children. I'll take the children. I'll away kill myself. Me. I'll kill myself. And so yep. you, you just see, or, or sometimes like, like people will use, um, it, it's always a red flag to me when I have a partner that, uh, or spouse that keeps the other partner very tied financially so that they just don't want them to have a lot of money that they could leave. So there's, I know we think about just like physical abuse, like hitting and punching, but there's also a lot of stuff that we don't even really think about it. You know, just blaming, using kids, just. um, Yeah. So that's. It's um, one of the things I have a book here that is the book called what is an emotionally destructive relationship by Leslie Vernick. And she refers to these things as verbal weapons. I thought that was interesting, verbal weapons and having grown up in an abusive upbringing, my mom, my dad, I had a stepdad that was extremely alcoholic and abusive and siblings who were pretty abusive. Like I would actually I can totally relate with that idea of these being verbal weapons, cursing, name calling, degrading mm-hmm. comments, constant criticism, or blaming to get you to do something you don't want to do or to keep you from doing something you want to do. They curse at you, call you names, humiliate you in public. Um, and those are just like a few things, right? Like these are pretty serious things. And I think a lot of times we just, when you're in that environment, you're just so used to it. And one of the saddest things I've seen is, um, especially mostly with women, I know men have been in this situation too, but the majority of the people I see who are um, in these relationships, me personally, are women. And what makes me saddest is they feel like they are at fault. Like it's their fault that their, their husband treats them this way. Well, if I was, you know, thinner, I've actually heard men who are unfaithful and they tell their spouse that it's if if they were thinner or if they took better care of themselves, it's their fault because they're not doing these things. And and I'm like sitting here going, no, no, no. I've heard (laughs) that, too. Not God's way. (laughs) Yes, that's for sure. I've also heard, Crystal, uh, people saying if you leave me, you'll never find anybody that will love you. You better stay with me because you're so horrible that nobody else will want you. And it's like a brainwashing that happens to people. So they don't feel like they could make it out in the world. They don't feel like anybody would want them. 
and it's been systematically destroying their self-image so as to keep them under control. Exactly. And you know, one way that, and this makes me really sad, and I'm sure you are probably going to be like, yes, because we've talked about this before, that many women who are in very, in legalistic churches, they are taught that biblical submission is basically doing whatever the husband wants. And so because they're trying so hard to please God, they end up really losing themselves and they end up becoming a prisoner to a spouse who's not actually doing what they're taught to do in the scriptures is to love their wife as themselves as Christ loved the church. Right. Absolutely. And, and I've reminded more than one person about that. You can't pull one, one thing out of the Bible without looking at the whole pair, the whole passage too. Exactly. Um, And actually I'm glad you brought up that because I have some scriptures here that kind of go along with what does God say about this whole idea of emotional abuse. So in 1 Corinthians 7, 15, he says, um, but if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. God has called you to peace. And I thought, wow, (laughs) that's like kind of, you know, debunking that whole women are only to be submissive. Although I do believe Women are to be submissive in a healthy relationship where the husband is a spiritual leader who loves her as Christ loved the church enough to be willing to die for the, his bride, right? Does, this is not the kind of submission we're seeing in these abusive relationships. Um, and God has called us to live in peace. And so anytime somebody is preaching, you need to be submissive, but they're living outside of God's will, <laughs> Um, that is a huge red flag. And um, what do you think about that? Well, I, th- I think that's exactly right. And it's, um, you know, again, when when a woman feels loved, and if she is loved like Christ loved the church and like a, like a, a man loves his own body, she will feel safe. She will feel okay and loved in the marriage. And that's as God had intended it. And when the marriage is okay, then the children are okay. And and so we've always got to make sure that these relationships between husbands and wives, partners are that are safe first and foremost, because they're these children are learning and watching and thinking that what they are seeing is okay. They normalize it, and sometimes they believe that's what they will be having in their life as well. So parents have a responsibility Absolutely. to treat each other with love because children are watching. Right. And we call that in the psychology field, learned learn behavior. behavior, that if a child grows up in their developmental years, seeing um, their father or their mother degrading themselves, like degrading their spouse or degrading their children, then this just gets like ingrained. So it's oftentimes called generational bondage. Generational. Right? Yes. Um, <laughs> it's like that whole idea. Like I've worked with so many different well, pretty much all the time, this is what I see where I see like, maybe I'll see a mother. And it's oftentimes when I begin working with a child, she's beginning to display the same behaviors that she's learned from her mother, because that's all she knows. knows, Right. And um, so we have to begin bringing awareness to that. Um, And the same way, like, if, if a, a young man, 
a child grows up seeing his father abuse, put down or criticize his spouse and not treat her the way that Christ has called him to treat her, then unless there's a true heart change, like he's accepted Christ, he's really, you know, come to a point where he's like, this is not what I want to repeat. And he's done some work to ensure that then chances are he's going to grow up and do the same things to some degree that he grew up. Well, sure. And conversely, daughters, I I like to talk to fathers and say, you're the first mirror the little girl, your daughter will look into and how, how you treat her as a female woman and her mother will give her a good indication of what she will accept or not accept in her life. So, so I think fathers have an obligation to, to be loving because a daughter may feel like this is, this is how every man is. And, um, consequently may choose a man that is abusive to her. And, you know, have you seen this where um, I'll have a client come in and they're dealing with emotional, physical, sexual abuse, maybe from a spouse and they don't, they'll say, oh, my childhood was perfect. Right. But oftentimes once I dig enough, it's almost, um, I wouldn't say all the time, but a good majority of the time I end up seeing that there was some kind of significant emotional abuse, neglect, and that's what kind of set it in that that individual's mind to not um, demand respect from a future husband. And that's a lot of work. Like, we have to do that very gently, very tenderly, because this is her perception. Even though it's a perception that has, in a healthy way, or in an unhealthy way, led her to make decisions about her spouse um, that she doesn't even know is there. But without doing that, we actually can't help empower women to really see this, <laughs> the emotional abuse and the pattern. And so there, it's in paramount to begin, I believe, as a therapist who I believe can getting into the root of the issue. Because if we're just treating the surface level issue, but not getting into the root, of why, what, what decision, what were you thinking? What was going on in your heart during a time when you picked a man who wasn't being super like Christ-like to you? Um, Yeah. You you know, Krista, one of the things too that I see is that I I always see these things in patterns, like a, a woman, let's just say a woman comes into my office and she will talk about the abuse that she is receiving at home. And then I'll see her the following week and she's like, well, no, things are better. Things are really better. He feels really bad and he's really going to change. And I'm always reminding them that, you know, a lot of times abuse has a cycle and that cycle is that things are okay for a while. Then they tend to get, you know, escalate for whatever reason. And then some sort of abuse can happen, some sort of violence, abuse, yelling, whatever. And then there's kind of like a honeymoon time of like, I'm sorry and remorse. And so then she stays and then we, and then once there's some tension and then it's a cycle over and over and over and over. And sometimes it's really hard because there's a lot of people that stay in relationships because of those few moments of when it's really good, give them hope that it could happen again. But it's just like creating the same cycle over and over and over again. And, and I try to help particularly women understand that this is, a, this is a cycle and it can be a pattern. If you're starting to see the same pattern over and over, we've got to make some changes. 
Absolutely. And it's so important. I'm working with um, and I've worked with women in the past who their husband is starting, you know, they may be like, oh, I'm going to do all these things. I want to get you back. And then it's usually pretty short lived. And so it's so important that um, women know, like, the true signs of a heart change. And again, this book by Leslie Vernick does a lot of this work. And so anytime I see a client who has is dealing with this kind of emotional abuse, I direct them to either um, the emotionally abusive relationship, or there's a specific one just for marriage, because it, it begins to show like, is this a true heart change? Because if it's not a true heart change, it's eventually they that like, if you're just trying to behave for a little while to get your spouse back, eventually they're going to get tired because it's not a true heart change. It's just a surface level. I'm trying to be good. Yes. Just to keep <laughs> right? around. Yeah. And so, yeah. And helping them to see how important that is. You know, one thing I always tell women, um, especially when I'm working with them in, in sessions is that women actually have more power than we realize. Mm -hmm. And once they can step into that power and finally say, look, this pattern that's been going on in our marriage for however many years is not okay. And so you need to get help and they step out, they leave, they take the kids. Then I've seen about probably 80% of the time men who really love their wives, if they're held to the burner will actually make some true heart change because they don't typically want to lose their spouse. And a lot of times I see that this is the very thing that, has to happen for true change you have to be faced with this period of I'm going to lose everything I really yeah, that's love but I tell him I'm like you're just kind of letting him have his cake and eat it too like he can come home and abuse you and he can go out and do whatever he wants out there and come home and keep doing the pattern yeah. <laughs> well there's no consequence that's right? that's so true too and and it is true. One thing I've learned from being a therapist for 30 years is people don't typically change until things get tough enough. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it does take maybe losing a family for somebody to get the help they want. And a, another thing we haven't talked about is like there, again, there are men that are in, abu are in abusive relationships. And it's really different for a man because men sometimes don't want to that they feel embarrassed that maybe they're, they're being emotionally and even physically abused in a marriage. And so they're not as likely to say anything, mm -hmm. but I have known some six foot four men that were just reduced to tears because they were in a verbally abusive relationship. I've known men that had to get their children in the middle of the night and go to, go to shelters to, uh, you know, just to um, avoid abuse. And so I, I think we also need to make sure that men know that, it is okay to ask for help as well. Just like we, just like we encourage women to ask for help, it's okay for men to ask for help as well in this situation. We just don't see it as much. Exactly. And um, you and I probably see it more than most because we'll see this dynamic playing out in the office and begin bringing some, you know, shedding some light on that. Like, uh, how does that make you feel when you hear her talk to you this way or when you yeah. hear him talk to you, right? And so yeah. I'm really glad that you brought that up because it is very true. And I think a lot of times 
I've seen where women use their power in the wrong way as well. They, they put their husband down. They really treat them like children. <laughs> um, and so that's one thing I'm, you know, we have to work on is helping them to realize that how that impacts a male's fragile ego that God has actually instilled in him to feel safe with his wife and for us to be encouraging and to, I've just seen a lot of really some pretty unkind women to their husbands. So I'm glad you brought that up because it's paramount that both sides are respectful of each other. Yeah, absolutely. Doing their God given responsibility in the marriage to ensure that it's a safe haven. I use emotional focus couples therapy in my office Mm -hmm. and that is founded by Sue Johnson, who's super wise and smart. And um, the concept is really getting to the root of what caused them to bring certain dysfunctional patterns and behaviors into their marriage, which then trigger the deepest hurts within each other, bringing those to the table, helping them to build awareness of it. And then helping them to learn a healthier way of communicating for the purpose of creating what they refer to as a safe haven in a marriage. And when we think that's why this verse really popped out, because marriage was never intended to be a prison. It was intended to be a place where we felt safe and free to be who we are. And I know you and I both are blessed to have amazing husbands who cherish us and take care of us and you know, I'm sure we have some tiffs sometimes and um, things can get a little loud occasionally when we have a disagreement, but it's for the most part, almost all the time, my home is a safe place. It's a place that I really love to come home to after a long day. If I face something really difficult in the world, I want to come home and be with my husband. He's the first person I want to see. That's the way God intended it. I can, yes, Crystal, I feel the exact same way about my husband, too. I was just thinking, too, that it's so interesting, just like the little subtle things that that people miss. And um, I was just thinking, you know, with all the technology, again, it's always a red flag when I have somebody in my office and they have to, like, phone their spouse, like, every five minutes. Or he has her gps on his phone and which I know, you know, people do that all the time with their kids and stuff. But when it's when that stuff is used as a way to control, like, you know, I'm going home from work, I've got 10 minutes to be there, he's going to wonder where I'm at. Those things are real red flags to me, too. Yes. Um, the, the other thing is when, like, and I know we kind of kid each other and, and stuff when we're with our spouses, but it always kind of bothers me when I'm with a couple and, and they will kind of Kidding is one thing, but kind of subtle put downs in front of other people. Um, that that just I mean, it's one thing we all get frustrated sometimes, but you know when somebody is just subtly trying to make their spouse look bad in the eyes of everybody else and trying yes. to just put them down and and belittle them in front of other people. And um very rarely will I let that go unnoticed if I'm with a with them when I'm with a group, but and Crystal, the, the other thing we've not really talked about is just helping children to understand that if they are being abused in a home, that, that they also need to seek out help too and understand, and that there are people that they can go to for help, like school social workers or 
you know, somebody's mom or teachers, or that if they're in a bad situation, there are people that they can talk to as well. Exactly. I'm glad you brought that up. Um, There are always, there are not always, but typically there's going to be some safe places that women and children and men can go to when they're in an abusive situation. Um, I know that in our town, there's a place called the Middleway House. And that's, I mean, I've recommended many women go there because they're trained and that's only what they do to help women and children to get safe. And I would say that there's not enough of those places for men. There probably, there's probably some, but not enough. And I think that um, typically that's probably because even usually men are bigger. (laughs) So typically they're not getting beat to the, to the degree that a woman is. But I do think that there needs to be more in the field of ensuring that men have a safe place to go when they're in trouble, too. Um, And, of course, it's so important right now. One thing I'm seeing that concerns me as a counselor is that the school is one of the, the main places where abuse is recognized in children. And so if the kids aren't in school, right, and they're facing abuse, they don't want to have a place to get out and go and get help Mm -hmm. um, or have a break from the level of abuse in their home. And then they don't have the teachers noticing because the teachers are the ones who are most likely going to call CPS and make a child protective services report. Um, So this is another reason why I'm glad we're talking about this concept because we all need to be aware that we need to be even more on the lookout for these children who are in these homes and they can't, they, they don't have anybody noticing what they're going through. Yes, that's right. It, it always, again, you know, talking about red flags when I'm in my office, it's always a red flag when I have, when I have people that you can just see how fearful they are. They're so afraid that somebody's going to find out they're in counseling. They're so afraid that somebody's going to find out that they're disclosing the abuse that they're enduring, just almost looking over their shoulder over the, all the time. And just this fearful stance that, that anything bad could happen, like they're always on the verge of fight or flight. And it just, it it breaks my heart to see that, particularly with women that come in too. And a lot of times in my practice, if I feel like a woman is at risk, I like Middleway House, Becky's Place in Bedford and, you know, places around, give them the uh, domestic abuse, the hotline that, um, which is 1-800-799-SAFE. And again, that's 1-800-799 and then the word SAFE to call at any point to report domestic violence and abuse and that to get help. But it just, it, it just breaks my heart. And so a lot of times what I tell people when they come in and I feel like they're at risk besides giving them this information is I, I always tell them the same thing, have a bag packed, throw it in the back of your car, have an extra cell phone, an extra set of keys. And because a lot of times in the heat of a domestic violence um, keys get, like a lot of times somebody will grab a key and say, you can't leave or they'll mm-hmm. grab a phone. You can't call. And I, I always just say, just try and try and stay safe until you can get out. But it's, but I think it's always a good idea to have stuff ready so that you could leave, get the kids leave, have a bag packed for kids just in case you do. And uh, one thing I learned the other day is that a lot of people, and we don't even think about this, but 
but one thing to prepare for is that if you had to leave in a hurry to make sure that, that your dog or cat comes with you or has a place to go, and, and people never think about that, but I have talked to more than one woman who says, I can't leave because I, where, how, what about my dog? I can't bring my dog. I can't bring my cat to a shelter, so I'm going to stay. So I have had people that will remain in a situation because they, they don't know what to do with their beloved pet. So I always just say, just always make sure you've got a friend that on a second's notice can say, I'll take your dog, drop him off if, if exactly. they need to go. So it's just something. Those are good pointers. I know. You never really think about pets holding people in an abusive situation, but it happens more time than not. Well, those pets for some people are their safe place. Yes, that's exactly right. right. And so they they haven't been able to connect with their spouse in an intimate way. So they end up connecting with we're creatures that are made by God to create and connect and have relationship and bonds. And there's a reason why they say it's that dogs are man's best friend, right? Yes. <laughs> yes, that's exactly right. So I'm trying so to, these are all like, what were you going to say? No, I was just, I was just thinking that I think it would be beneficial for people. Like I say, I've got like a list in front of me of just, just again, just kind of things to look for. Just, um, and just to look at your own life and say, boy, that sounds really familiar. Just, uh, you know, just when, when the other person's making light of abuse and, um, I'm actually looking off, it's called the Duluth power and, and control wheel. And it's an amazing wheel that talks about physical violence and sexual violence. And it looks like a pie. And it just talks about like, like if a man treats a woman like like a servant, you know, make like he makes all the decision, acting like the master of the house, you know, um, uh, and like preventing her from getting a job, making her ask for money, giving her or giving her an allowance, taking her money. Mm -hmm not letting her know or have access to income. It's got like all these pieces to the pie. And one is using coercion and threats. Like we've talked about, like I'll kill myself if you leave, or I'll report you to welfare if you take the kids and um, using intimidation and just making her be afraid just by like the look he gives her or she gives him or smashing things. Like she throws something against the wall or, or again, abusing pets. And then like, like using emotional abuse, like putting her down, um, telling him he, that he's crazy, playing mind games, making her feel guilty, using isolation, um, minimizing, denying, and blaming, and of course, using the children. So just so many subtle things that we don't really think about all the time, but that is so, so indicative and can be indicative. It may not be abusive now, but those things... I think people really need to be aware of that because though it may not be abusive now, a lot of those are indicators that it will be abusive soon. Exactly. And anytime they try to like shut out your, your previous life, like I've actually heard stories of husbands making their spouse burn their journals before they got married Mm -hmm. or, you know, trying to get, whoever they're with to be like, you don't need the people that were in your life before. Like those are huge red flags. Yes. Um, so even if you're in a relationship where you're dating somebody who has these, I say run, run fast. One thing I always tell my clients, I'm like, you know, we think that being alone is the worst thing in the world, but it's not 
being married and miserable is the worst thing in the Uh world. Um, Being like, so I'm always to help help them to see, like, we have to look in the future. And I think a lot of times in a relationship, we think, oh, these bad things will go away when we get married. Yeah. But they actually just get worse, right? Right. Because really the best, the best time is, and people put on their best face when they're dating, and so if you're seeing some red flags when you're dating, you are so right. It is not going to get any better after, after you're married unless you get significant help. People are made aware and have a heart to change and a heart to ask for help. Exactly. I think another um, symptom or another con- way that emotional abuse is seen in relationships is um, it's very common for men to lie. So if you're seeing lying on a regular basis and the other one that I see all the time is when they actually act like their spouse is the crazy one. Yeah, that's right. Right. Instead of actually acknowledging, Hey, I have these issues. So it could be that a spouse is concerned that there may be um, looking on their phone and messaging different women on their Tinder account or their, you know, Facebook all this stuff that we're seeing in our, I'm amazed. And I think I've pretty much heard it all. And then I'll have some other people come in and I'm like, oh man, there's another thing. That's for that's sure. Marriages. And I mean, Satan is like working on people's palms. Yes, he is. That is so true. They don't even have to go into like somebody's house to be unfaithful. They just are unfaithful right there on their phone. And so, but one thing is like, they're like, well, my my spouse thinks I'm the crazy one. Yes. <laughs> you know, yes. If you're just paranoid because you always think I'm having an affair. And um, when most of the time they are having some sort of an affair. I have seen that before, too. <laughs> and Crystal, I'm wondering maybe it would be helpful is let's give let's give people hope. Let's let's talk a little yeah. bit, if that's OK, a little bit about what can people do? How does that sound? What can people do? Yes, that sounds great. Yeah. So I think I'm going to encourage them to first, like we're doing, building awareness. Yes. In order to know how to respond to emotional abuse, you have to know what it is. You have to be able to recognize it. So that's, we're doing a little bit of that here. Um, but again, we're just kind of scratching the surface of this whole topic of domestic violence and emotional abuse. So I would encourage you to get the Emotionally Destructive Relationship by Leslie Vernick. Um, she has several books on this area that are really helpful. Any woman or man that I have that comes in my office who's experiencing emotional abuse, physical abuse, sexual abuse, I'm actually, this is part of their homework for seeing me is to read this book. The other thing is get a counselor because a counselor will help you to be able to sort out and to be able to help let help you to get some clarity over what's going on because you're usually when you're in a situation where you're being emotionally abused, you have a lack of clarity and confusion and second guessing yourself. So I think it's important to get a counselor to talk to maybe even a pastor or a friend who you know is wise to begin, you know, helping you to see that you're not in prison, that there's a way out. I agree. That's, there's so many things too, and you're right. 
uh, um, understanding and being aware of the red flags is super important. And then I always think that it's always good to have a buddy system, like a trusted friend that has your back, that you know if you needed to bring the kids and the dog in the middle of the night that you could go to, or they could come to you. And the, the important thing, Crystal, is that it does not need to be as the big secret. We are supposed to, because that's part of the abuse, is that it needs to be kept secret. The thing is, is that you need to speak and you need to, like you said, talk to your doctor, talk to a counselor, talk to your pastor, talk to anybody who will listen that will direct you in the right way. And, and that can be too, like I said, like having an extra phone, having an extra set of keys, a bag packed, a little bit of money stashed away, just in case that there's that opportunity, you've got to get out, you've got to get out fast too. And I just, I just want to say that there can be life, and I mean good life, after being in an emotional relationship. Happiness can be found again. With God's help, healing can happen. Sometimes the heart of the abuser can be healed if they're open to God's, God's willing to, to heal them as well. And that there is, there can be life. It can be okay. And that it may seem really bleak, but you can be okay. You can be safe. Your children could be safe. And, but you have to say something. Don't keep it in the dark. Just call, call whoever you need to call. That is such an important thing is the, the longer it remains hidden, the longer it's going to take for you to find healing and standing up being somebody who's been in a situation where I felt imprisoned um, as a child, I, I know it's scary to stand up and say, Hey, I need help. But until we do, it won't get, it, I always tell people, we're not going to actually, we'll never stay the same. We're either going to move towards healing or we're going to move away from healing, but we will never remain the same. In the same way, abuse will never remain the same. It will get better because we'll learn to stand up to it or it's going to get worse, but it will never just stay the same. And so it's so important. That's why the whole purpose of my practice and what Elisa and I do is to help people find victory and healing in Jesus. God has called, he says in his scripture that he has come so that we can have abundant life and living in a, and being entrapped in an, an emotionally abusive marriage or home or family is not what God has called for us to do while we're on this earth. He has specific things he wants us to do. And the, I think it's also important to remind people to just keep praying and to ask God, God, show me what you want me to do. Because he will actually, he's really good at answering those, those cries of our heart. Any other thoughts? I think those are all, all wonderful thoughts to Crystal. And just to, to have hope. Just, just never give up hope. As long as you're, you're alive, there's always hope. And you know that the, your Lord above knows exactly what you're going through. Reach out, reach out to him, and he will provide help for you one way or other. And I, I know I have, I have called the police to protect a client before, and I know, Crystal, you have too to protect a client. There are people out there that will help you. And even though if you're listening out there, you may have heard that nobody will help you, that there's nobody out there that knows that you're, you're trapped. You are not trapped. There are people like Crystal and I that will help anytime we can 
just reach out. Yes, we can't help if we don't know there's a problem. Right. And um, it's so important to just like not not stay in the dark. Bible says that Jesus came so that we can have light. And- He's he like God is all about light and and covering over the darkness. Yes. So um, I was thinking there's this, I'm going to read just a little passage as we close up here from Leslie Vernick's book. Um, she says, why stand up? As silly as this illustration is, people get to the point. Your passivity is detrimental when others lie to you, ignore you, treat you disrespectfully, or use you. Getting caught up in defending your request that someone stop their hurtful behavior is also counterproductive. When you stand up, don't see the action as merely standing up for yourself. For many of us, that feels too self-centered, and at times it might be. When we stand up to a destructive person, we are standing up for something bigger than just our feelings. We are standing up for goodness, truth, righteousness, and peace. In addition, as Jesus always did, we are standing up against sin, evil, wickedness, lawlessness, and abuse of power and privilege. We need to make no apologies for standing up when we need to. Jesus never did. And I thought that would be a great way to end our session today because really that's what Elisa and I do every day. We want our clients to be able to stand up, stand up for Jesus. There's that hymn. I think it's a hymn that's in my mind right now. Um, but it's so important because if we, we don't want to take this stuff lying down. No, we don't. Um, as long as we allow it, it will continue. And we always know that, that Jesus promises that he will never leave us or forsake us. So no matter how alone you feel in this, you are not alone. And he will go before you. He will go in front of you. He'll go before you and find a way for you out. So, Crystal, thank you so much for having awesome. for having me on your podcast, and thank you for the work that you do and will continue to do. And uh, I just I just pray for all people out there that are in in bad abusive situations. I just lift you all up in in God's name that you be spared and that you be safe. Amen. And we will be praying. And if you guys have any questions about this podcast feel free to email me at victoriouslivingcounseling at yahoo.com. And again, if there's any topics that you would like to be discussed on the podcast, please email the same email address. And um, thank you, Elisa, for coming on and helping me with this topic. I think there's a reason why the Bible says where two or more are gathered, there I will be also. Yes, that's right. And um, there's more power in two. Uh Because we're able to, you know, listen to what God's saying. And I really pray that this podcast has, well, even if it just helps one person to become aware of emotional abuse patterns and to realize that they have the ability to overcome it, then that's my Absolutely. Um, so thank you for listening. And um, Elisa, thank you for joining the podcast. And God bless you. Bye.